Yo, 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 what is up, my man? It's Cynthia Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, really excited to dive into what was, to be honest, a conversation with Shane O'Neill. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that Shane is no stranger to this podcast. We have him on here every couple of months. And uh, today we decided to talk a little bit about marriage. And, you know, he and I are kind of in that three to four year range of our marriages. And so we were just talking about things that we wish we knew before we got married, things that we've been learning. We had a really interesting conversation about finances and how to get your wife on the same page about uh, money. Uh, it was really interesting. Um, and then we kind of, you know, wrapped it all off. We talked a little bit about self-care and why, you know, husbands in particular tend to neglect self-care once they get married and start having kids and why it's actually so critical for your marriage and your family to be successful. And so it was a really, uh, again, a very broad spanning um, kind of conversation. I really like these formats where, you know, Shane and I have some history now, so we're kind of shooting the breeze back and forth. And you'll see at the beginning, we're just catching up on life and talking through stuff. And it's uh, it's a very organic kind of conversational feel. And, uh, you know, listening back, it, it honestly just feels like you're in the living room with two dudes having a conversation. So I think you're going to really enjoy it, especially those of you that are, uh, you know, wanting to get married one day or new to marriage. And look, if you've been married more than four years, you might be listening to us thinking what a bunch of chumps. Uh, but I think maybe you'll, you'll be able to glean one or two things along the way as well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Shane O'Neill. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right, well, always a privilege to sit down with Shane. Shane, it's actually been a while, man. We're a little bit out of our rhythm here, so nice to see you again, man. For sure, dude. You're like a dad and stuff. I'm a dad and stuff. Can't forget yeah. the stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, I am a dad. Crazy man. Judah is is three and a half months old, and I was I was just telling you before we hit record, he was he was hospitalized with pneumonia when we got to Jamaica, and uh, those are some of the worst days of my life, man. You don't you don't even realize how much you care about these little nuggets until they're unwell yeah. or that kind of thing. So, but it's yeah. it's been amazing, honestly. Aside from the hospitalization, he's been he's been a really easy baby. So we kind of lucked out. But how about you, man? You've uh, you picked up some extracurriculars. You got some extra studies going on and amidst yes. all the other things in the fold. How's that going? Yes. Yeah. I'm working towards getting my degree and license for therapy, for counseling. Um, oh. And that's going well. Uh, getting challenged in all sorts of ways. Um, How so? Goodness. Um, like my perspective. So maybe... For instance, uh, I have like an allergy towards authority, which is so darn millennial. <laughs> um, but maybe becoming more aware, more alert to that. Yeah. Um, another thing is uh, my relationship and my uh, perspective towards like even information or knowledge. Mm. Um, uh, towards knowledge. Yeah. So like knowledge as something that I acquire and something that's static as opposed to something that's maybe like organic and relational, something that grows alongside me. And so like I have a really, I guess one of the core virtues with knowledge is competency. Mm -hmm. um, and if I am not competent at something, then I have a, a great deal of fear towards yeah. doing it or trying it, uh, which really doesn't allow for any sort of growth or development. Uh, so those those sorts of things have come to light. And that's been very humbling and helpful. Um, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting because I think, I think I know a lot of people, honestly, I feel like I have, I'm, I'm like the least educated in most of my, the circles I run in. Like the people I went to university with are all PhDs, doctors, dentists, <laughs> you know, some of my best friends, they're, you know, they're lawyers on Wall Street and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's interesting because I, a lot of them have shared a similar experience when they get into you know, graduate studies, not undergrad. I feel like every, all educational experiences up in, up to undergrad kind of are the cause of that, those feelings, right? Because if you get, like you either learn something's right or wrong, 
either you get it right, you get it wrong. Um, yes. you, know, you always kind of get reprimanded or there's consequences if you think outside of the box or you don't show your work or you kind of figure out your yes. own way. Like you're sort of like conditioned to follow the path and to do it perfectly. And then you get into graduate work and suddenly you have to be much more creative, think outside the box, be a lot more critical in your thinking. Not that those things don't exist previously, but I think they're celebrated a lot more at that level. And it's, it's really interesting because, yeah, you're kind of you're just reprogramming your brain altogether, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, school is literally the script for school is you buy information. Right. Right. And like when you come out, you have certain degrees uh, like I am a master of this information. Right. Uh, A doctor of it. And uh, so, yes, like mastery, uh, competency, um, possession, like these are all like kind of values and virtues around uh, our paradigms for information and knowledge as opposed to something relational. (laughs) Yeah. Something that you can grow in, something that you can be bad at, something that's experiential as opposed to like some, again, knowledge acquisition as though it's a disposable resource. Right. So where does yeah. the resistance against authority come into play in all of this? Yeah. Uh, my first grade teacher, she, she was just really quite mean to me. Uh, I had like undiagnosed um, learning disabilities. And, uh, and I don't know, I, I mean, I was like at a, you know, private prep school and she seemed to like maybe make it her mission to like try and, I don't know, like get, get those out of me. I'm not sure. But like every day she'd have me like go to the board and diagram sentences, uh, for grammar. And I just couldn't do it. And my hand would be shaking and I'd stammer. And this would just happen for like a year. Uh-huh. Um, so just, uh, I think that that was the first time. I suppose I saw an authority that was greater than my parents' authority. Yeah. And so like re- relational authority became subservient to like this formal systemic authority. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just didn't ever want to be in that position again, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that that's I, so much of that is unknown. I'm mean, just a little guy, you know, just a first grader, um, but just scared. So like, like even some of my body's reactions towards school, towards authority, those sorts of things. My body remembers the story, even if my head doesn't. But like, yeah, I would say like the last few months, you're like, oh, like, yeah. Because that's, that's been, even my relationship with God, I, uh, I really love his relational authority. Uh, his companionship um, is like the gospel to me. Um, but when it comes to like providence, uh, I have like really hard, difficult issues with it. Huh. Uh, I can, I can get on the level with sovereignty, but when it comes to like providence, the idea that God, God is in charge of or orchestrates everything. Uh, I have, I have, a, yeah, I have a difficult time. So it's yeah. all, all of it's just fascinating and interesting. Um, yeah. thank you for asking. No, it, it, I, it's an interesting point you brought up. Cause I was actually reading, I was reading Romans 13 this morning. And Romans 13 is all about submission to governmental authorities. And it's just, I think it's become a very interesting conversation in this day and age where, you know, like I'm based in Canada, I'm in Jamaica right now, but based in Canada where, you know, the government's been really strong on, on certain aspects that, you know, I am fundamentally against. And um, that tension, you know, of like, you're, we're supposed to honor our authorities, like that's scriptural. and then where's the line where it's like, you know, you're honoring authority, um, but maybe you're compromising, you know, your own convictions um, that are scripture based and whatever. So just a conversation we've been having. And my my wife's family that lives here in Jamaica has kind of fled Canada, quote unquote, not not yeah. quite like that, but they're very glad that they don't live in Canada. Um, yeah. Jamaica in general, the culture here is very anti-establishment. Like um, like a, a great a great example would be. Canada's vaccination rate was about 81, 82% across the nation. Um, Jamaica's was 18%. There's just such a distrust because there's so much corruption here. And so, you know, the, the whole Romans 13 living out the respect for authority just looks so different here than it does in Canada, you know, and obviously in America as well. I know most people listening are American. So it, I just thought it was interesting you brought the authority thing. Cause I've been thinking about that day and night for the last couple of days. And, uh, was literally reading about it in Romans 13 this morning. You know, there's that passage in Timothy where Paul is talking to Timothy and he 
It's talking about worshiping God, lifting up holy hands, um, live peaceable lives, quiet, peaceable lives, and praying for those who are in authority so that you might live quiet, peaceable lives. Mm. Um, I liked that because it's uh, it's uh, an action and then a why. He tells you why. It's like so that, you know, you can live peaceable lives. So you can live like yeah. just love your neighbor in simple ways and you have the freedom to do that. And you have the freedom to worship God. Um, and I, I fail at that point. I, I want the effect, uh, engaging the cause of, mm. I don't, I don't often, I, I don't know. I don't pray. I don't pray, you know, for like my governor, you know, like by name very often. I don't pray for my president by name very often, uh, state senators, those sorts of things. I think that that's, uh, that's always a challenge to me where it's like, Hey, like, are you humanizing the people, right? Who are making these laws? like setting these bills in motion or are you dehumanizing them and feeling like he's just a spiritual warfare where you're combating legislation, yeah. you know? And so I, I, I uh, often come back to that and that's been, that's been a helpful refrain. Yeah. That's good perspective. Yeah. There's the, um, there it's verse seven in Romans 13 and it's, this is new King James version, but it's, it's like, that basically like the, the summation, you know, of all these like pretty strong statements about respecting authority and, you know, don't resist the ordinances of God and God places these people in their place of authority for a reason and all that. Uh, but basically at the, at the end, Paul just writes, you know, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due customs to whom customs fear to whom fear honor to whom honor, you know, like it's kind of that idea of like, yeah, that, that's sort of where it all resolves. It's like if they, if they are in that position, they get it anyway. Um, but there is an additional layer to it. And I think this is actually a good segue into what we wanted to discuss today, which was kind of the whole concept of marriage, things we wish we knew before we were married. And you you made a delineation between systemic authority or positional authority versus relational authority. And yeah. I can't think of a, a better uh, exemplification of that than marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess maybe maybe as a starting point, just to give some context, because uh, we're still relatively young in marriage, you know, and so I don't think we're, we're not the experts. We're not the people in our sixties who have decades of experience and have raised kids together and all that. Like, uh, you and I are just starting out. And so we're, we're doing our best to offer what we know, um, so far just to contextualize it. But I got married September, 2019. So it's been four and a half years for Shaloma and I, and, uh, like we were talking about, we just had our first. So that's kind of, that's where we've been at. Well, we can get into, you know, some of the stuff that we've gone through in our marriage and all that. But um, how about you, man? How long have you and your wife been married? Uh, uh, three years. Um, okay. We got married late uh, during COVID. So late in life for me, at least. I was 30. Um, okay. I'm 33. And so we got three years. And <laughs> most of that has been on the road. Because... Uh, because five months into marriage, we decided, Kaylee's a nurse, she's an ER nurse, uh, decided right. to go after debt. And <laughs> so we've been doing the travel nurse stuff since then. We like moved to Ohio and we moved to Maryland uh, and Virginia and Washington. We're going to go to Washington State in a few months. Wow. Um, yeah, so all over the place. Uh, it's been a heck of a ride, and I'm not sure if I would advise it for anyone else. Kaylee and I are actually reflecting on that yesterday. We're stacking wood outside and <laughs> reflecting on, like, we know the Lord led us into this, um, but would we ever advise? Like, what is, like, looking back, could we, without conviction, like, just using wisdom, be like, hey, like, if somebody were in our situation, be like, hey, like, that's, uh, it's a good idea. You should do that. Um, and it was interesting to say, like, no, like, we, we, like we reasoned, worked through it, dialogued through it, and just like, no, like, like we actually wouldn't be able to say that. Uh, and we can play that out more, but I like what we're doing here because we're not saying this is what we're doing well. We're saying looking back, right? This is what yeah. you and I, Cynthia, wish we had known, yeah. um, which is helpful. And I feel like it's a safer sort of reflection. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of things there that are, that are pretty interesting. So you guys are like, you guys made a decision five months in to really go after debt. How did that happen? Uh, Kaylee was working night shift. Uh, I was just working during the day at Proven uh, Ministries and with the Nikki Gospel podcast. 
Uh, our marriage? Kaylee, so the money, the debt was just a really, really big deal. Uh, yeah. for it's, you a, it's a lot of money. Kaylee or for both? We both came in with debt. I came in with more debt. I, have a, I had a graduate degree, so I came in with more debt. Right. Um, and Kaylee, uh, I was just feeling like regular anxiety about it. Like every single day, every single yeah. day. Um, yeah. whereas for me, it's like, yeah, like if, if it takes us 20 years, but we're happy, then that's fine. She's like, well, how could we be happy with this sort of debt? You know, like all the things we can't do. And I'm like, okay, like you bring some good points to the table. Um, and the night shift was really crushing her and killing her. So when it came to actually okay. working for a hospital, like those were the only shifts that were available. Um, I have all sorts of ish when it comes to the medical field, healthcare professionals and the system, um, there, but that's not, that's not the topic of this conversation anyway. So she's not doing so hot. We're not doing so hot. And we're like, okay, let's aggressively go after debt because this is an option. And we sit down with community members. We sit down with older brothers and older sisters, pastor, that sort of thing. And say, hey, like over the next month, two months, can you process and pray and be in dialogue with us about this? Uh, so like pull together like a discerning family and uh, went forward from there. Wow. Very cool. And then and you picked up a new graduate degree since then. So obviously you guys have been able to to get ahead enough that you felt confident to take on some more debt. Or are you able to to basically not incur debt? Like how's, how's that journey been? Yeah. This, uh, um, this is such a... It's a fun podcast episode. Um, <laughs> I know we're getting to the weeds, man. We didn't plan. Yes, no, you're doing great. I, I like it. Um, <laughs> fun question. Thank you for asking. Uh, Kaylee and I work and we live simple enough. Um, so basically when it comes to like, you know, there's a floor and a ceiling when it comes to finances and like your floor is basically going to be, you know, um, living, uh, travel, and and food right so groceries gas and uh and rent or mortgage um we've been able to rent out space so that we don't pay anything for housing um and then we got a prius which gets like 70 miles to the gallon so like we pay very little on gas and then when it comes to food i uh i just like pick up like side jobs that end up covering food throughout the week. So our floor wow. uh, is really, really stable. And then we are able to pay out of pocket. She's in, she's finishing up like her medical degree with um, a nurse, pra nurse practitioner with a focus in midwifery. Uh, and I'm doing the, the counseling therapy program. And yeah, so we are not taking on more debt. Uh, wow. We've been really, really lean, but we're paying for both the degrees out of pocket. Man, that's so impressive. We uh, we have similar stories there. Like Shaloma and I had some pretty um, hard conversations about money when we were engaged. Well, we had hard conversations about everything because crap just hit the fan so badly when we were engaged. Um, but and it's it's almost laughable. I don't think I don't think she would mind me sharing this story. But um, Shaloma had started a degree, and then due to some some mental health reasons and some family reasons, she she quit early, about a year and a half in. Um, but she owed a bit, a bit of a loan and, and she was studying locally. So she didn't have to pay for like residency and all that, but she owed $3,000. Um, and especially like three, not to say that $3,000 is a small amount of money, but in the conversation around student loans, you know, that's a drop in the bucket, but she felt so much shame about it. And we had all these conversations and, and I, I was basically like, well, I think we need to just pool our resources together and pay this off. And she was like, no, no, this is not your debt. You know, like I could never let you do that. You know, all that kind of stuff. And it was like, no, I think yeah. you need to let me do that. And then she yeah. got sick and she couldn't work. And it was like, okay, we really need to go after this together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it forced us to kind of unify. But then, you know, when I had started, when we got married, like I was, I was working um, yeah, as an executive assistant. I kind of took a job that I was overqualified for to be part of the organization that I really believed in. Um, and then Shaloma was sick. And so I, I was thinking at least when we get married, we'll have dual incomes, but we didn't even have that. And so we had mm. to, we, we lived super lean those first couple of years and, um, we were so happy, you know, and that was the cool thing for us to discover in that season was like, man, you know, everyone tells you once you get married, then you have to get this and you have to get that. And we had so little and, and I, I what I mean, I shouldn't say we were happy. It was a really hard season. But I guess we were content. There was, it was very, there was a very small part of me that, that wished we had more. 
that was kind of the provider in me. But generally speaking, day to day, it was like, man, this is amazing. Like God's providing for us and our bills are getting paid and it's not a big deal. And we basically made an agreement in that season. We said, you know what, if we ever come into more money, you know, my job changes or whatever, which has been the case, you know, now I have a business that's, that's doing well. Uh, but we both agreed, like, we, we are not going to pursue those frivolous things for a while. Like, we're going to really, we're, we just like the simple life, you know, and there's things that we can do. If there's, if there's some surplus, we'll invest, we'll build a runway, we'll, you know, start to build some generational wealth, maybe. Um, but it's been really, really good for us. But that, that finance thing is big. And it's, it's cool that you and Kaylee were on the same page. Um, because I think the, that the initial parts of that conversation, you said, were like, one person's really stressed about debt, need to pay it off, need to pay it off. And the other one's like, you know what? It's debt. It's fine. What's the big deal? I think often that's where the conversations end. And it's like, well, we have to agree to disagree. And this poor person's miserable and the other person doesn't care and whatever. So it's cool that you guys were able to like come to a middle ground. I think you especially to be sensible enough to say, even though I'm actually relatively comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'd be willing to, to tackle this and I can see some advantages to it. That's pretty cool. It is cool. Thanks. Thanks for playing that, Sathya. Yeah, we went to Ohio uh, and we went there in like January or February. So it was the dead of winter in Ohio. Snow. We have one vehicle. Kaylee's working 12 hour shifts. So I'm stuck in this very rural place by myself. My, you know, my depression is spiking and I'm a mess. Uh, we were in a situation there where it was... Uh, it was like, if we didn't find each other, we wouldn't make it, you know, it was like, Hey, like if I don't see you, we're effed. And if you don't see me, we're effed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was really vital and it was really scary. And that's maybe one of the reasons I wouldn't advise it for other people. Cause like, we didn't have any other resources, any community around us. It was like, Hey, this is make or break. Um, can we see one another, you know? Mm. And, yeah. uh, and we did. And that was really significant. I, I think one of the things that um, I don't often see in the marital scripts around around me, uh, well, around me and Kaylee, because this is a conversation that we've had an ethos we've built into our marriage. Uh, not a lot of marriages uh, build together. So typically, like one has a career, the other has a career. Um, or one stays at home and one leaves the home and they come back, maybe they make dinner together. Um, they end up making a kid, you know? <clears throat> um, but usually that ends up being like a really strenuous time because they've never really made anything together before. And then all of a sudden, like, what are our shared values? How are we going to raise this? Like, Hey, I don't like how you did that. Yeah. Um, because making something together is really difficult right because there's a a lot of trust is required and a lot of mutual submission is required mm -hmm. um and so learning how to build how to have a shared vision and to move towards that together and say hey you talk this way and i talk this way our language styles are different can we have to find a shared language in this um and i have to learn how to trust you like what sort of wisdom are you bringing what sort of wisdom and like are we allowed to fail together is that okay are we more important than the outcome you know, uh, and working through that. Um, so Kaylee and I started to discover that aspect of marriage, which wasn't necessarily, um, uh, again, an image of marriage or a vision of marriage that we had inherited. It's something that my parents have really, so it's something that they inhabited really early on in their marriage when they were in the Philippines, they were doing church planting, but when they came back to America, it's so, you know, ministry is so male dominated that, you know, dad was being sent different places to speak and yeah. So, um, it was later on, like, like once I was in maybe my early twenties that my dad would only like, he took a position. He's like, Hey, I will only come on if, uh, if there's a budget for Sterling to always travel with me, like, I don't ever travel without her, you know, she's wow. my partner. Good yeah. And so that's, and that's been like kind of the criteria and they don't even work for any organizations they just do their own thing now because it's like yeah it's it's us you know like yeah. and organization came would come uh maybe like um complicate their marriage more than actually add to it so i'm really proud of them uh but there was a stretch of time where like dad you know dad was the superhero doing things for jesus mom was at home and it's been a joy to see them recalibrate and for kaylee and i to inherit that vision as well that's cool. Yeah. My parents have actually had a similar trajectory. Like dad, dad was the pastor and mom kind of supported him quietly in the prayer closet kind of thing. But 
they've done a lot more together the last five to 10 years. And it's been, it's been really good for them. It's interesting what you said though, about just building together. Um, we had a guy on the podcast, maybe about a month ago, his name is Adam Lane Smith. So he's like an attachment specialist mm. and he has a, like a neurobiological slant to the conversation on attachment, which I really appreciated. And he talked about how, you know, a lot of the conversations around attachment today are oxytocin bonding, which is building an emotional connection. And, you know, guys historically are not very good at this. And this is an area we need to naturally just, or not unnaturally rather, uh, develop in, you know, um, whereas for women, it comes more naturally and whatever. But he said that's, that's sort of like one element of attachment. Um, and another really major component is what they mm. call vasopressin bonding. Mm. And men are more inclined to vasopressin bond, which is bonding by doing things, which is why if you and I were hanging out in person, we'd probably be at least, you know, we'd be around a campfire drinking a beer together or, you know, like when I hang out with my guy friends, we're playing video games, you're doing something together and go to the gym. That, yeah. You go to the gym, whatever. Um, and that, that kind of bonding in a relationship is actually really necessary for a guy to feel like he's attached to his wife and he's building a connection. And as they've studied couples over longer periods of time, um, the key to longevity in successful marriages is not oxytocin bonding. That's obviously important, but vasopressin bonding was a much greater predictor of the success of a marriage long-term, which is just really, really interesting because I think um, that building together thing is something like it, it really caused me to look inside and be like, man, what are Shaloma and I building together? You know, and raising a family definitely is that. But I've also I'm also of the opinion that I don't I don't want our marriage to center around our family building. Like, obviously, we can't avoid it. You know, it's it's something we want, but I want us to have stuff outside of that. And so we had a really cool season where, like, you know, I worked on a book and she helped me a little bit with it. She worked on an album and I got to kind of be the brains behind the operation, so to speak. Um, really stressful seasons and we probably didn't have to do it all in the same year, but really rewarding, you know, and mm. it, that I, I hadn't factored that in. Like, to be honest, I've worked a lot more on the oxytocin, emotional kind of bonding yeah. the last couple of years because I just felt like that was such a deficiency in my own relationship um, and something I wanted to have in the marriage. But it was really encouraging for me to just be reminded by this guy, um, Adam, Adam Smith, just that like actually a, a guy's natural bend to, you know, do things and to bond by doing things is actually really healthy, not just for him. It's actually really good for a marriage. Cynthia, I, I want, so a big, I really love all of that. Um, and I'm totally on the level with you. And one of the things that uh, no one explicitly taught me uh, or told me before getting married is that I need to take care of myself in a way that I never have before. Mm. Um, that if I want to love my wife in healthy ways, then I need to make sure I'm really healthy mm. and that they'll be commensurate with one another. If uh, I want to be physically present to her, then I need to be physically taking care of myself. If I want to be emotionally present to her, then I need to make sure that I'm emotionally being present to myself. Yeah. And developing practices that are cultivating health in those areas, spiritually, whatever. Um, I was I was given a model of masculinity, of husbandhood, uh, that was more doormat, was like you you burn yourself out, you break your body for your wife, you know, like you die like Christ died for the church. Mm. You know, and it's like, well, like wait to 30 years. Like he cultivated himself for 30 years. For three years you know it's like he had a lot to give like he yeah. and even then like he's still like getting away in the mornings you know right and they're yeah, looking so everywhere for him because presumably there's work to be done and he's he's over there tending tending to himself you know he's letting the father tend to him uh and then they still come to him and he's like hey like people are looking for you and he's like let's actually move on like like we're gonna we're gonna move on you know yeah um there are there are other people elsewhere and we need to go for a walk so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's something that I didn't, and that's something I had to learn was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not allowed to just break myself for her. Like I actually have to strive to be whole and healthy yeah. for her. Can you, can you speak to that and what your experience has been with that? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's such a good point. I, I know for me, so I, 
I'm definitely a recovering people pleaser. And that's, that's a lot to do with my upbringing. And not that my parents like beat me into a, a people pleaser, but it's sort of Indian culture. Like you're just very subservient, respectful of authorities and kind of what you want. It matters, but it doesn't matter that much. Um, and I've, I've worked really hard. And honestly, I'm very grateful for my parents who have um, worked on themselves quite a bit as well over the years, if I could put it that way. Um, and that, that dynamic changed, but I, I, I have felt bad at times in marriage where it's like, man, I'm doing this great thing, but I should be, maybe I should be spending time with my wife or I should be doing the dishes, but I know that doing this great thing for me, sometimes it's just as simple as going for a walk. Like it's nothing fancy, but those, those things allow me to come back and be more present. Like you're saying, be more, uh, connected, be more available. And I will, I will say that everything you've just articulated goes on steroids when you become a father, because the, especially like in, in our current dynamic, I leave the house in the morning, I go to my office, I work a normal day and then I'm home. So I'm very aware that my wife is doing all the work at home, raising mm -hmm. Judah, you know, while I'm at, I'm at work. And the one day, uh, my wife, this was like, I don't know, this was maybe six weeks in and I had only been going back to work for, for a couple of weeks at that time. And she was like, oh, you know, how was your day today? And I was like, oh, you know, it was really good. And, uh, you know, had this meeting and talked to this person. I was like, I'm really sore, though. You know, like I had a pretty, pretty intense workout. And she was like, you're working out? And I was like, well, yeah, like I work out at lunch. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this poor woman, like she doesn't have a spare minute to work out. Like I probably shouldn't have. You know what I mean? Like you kind of go through all this. And um, and and she, was, she wasn't like, how dare you work out? Who do you think you are? You know, like, uh, she was mad. but you could just tell like. She's like, wow, you, your experience of being a parent is so different than mine. You know, like it really hit her in that moment and it, it hit me too. Um, but I, I've since, like, I have those moments where sometimes I want to coil back a little bit, but I've had to, I've had to remind myself, actually, um, I'm working out because it's really good for my well-being. Like, that's why I work out. It's good for my mental health. It's good for my body. Um, and if I can get something like that in every day, then I actually am more present to help Shaloma. I'm more able-bodied. I have more energy. Like, and I have to just remind myself of that because the little things like that are very easy. Like for me, it's easy to be like, yeah, who do I think I am? Like, I don't need to be working out. I should be going home during that time instead and helping Shaloma or whatever. Like I, I yeah. go to those places a lot. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've, um, you know, that's something that I'm learning, the whole like self-care uh, being a priority. Um, yeah, learning that one all the time. Jay Stringer talks about that specifically, you know, he's, I mean, he's got multiple kids, but he talks about that in unwanted of, of like self-advocacy, um, as mutuality, not as like, uh, like, Hey, like, like, this is what I need to be healthy. So he gives the yeah. example of, Hey, Saturday, this coming Saturday morning, I'd like to go up to the mountains, which is like an hour away, spend an hour there, come back down. That'll be really good for me. I'll be able to be more present to you and the kids. If I do that, um, what can I give you that would be good for you? Mm, you know? Right. And so like, there's like, hey, like, can you, can you, can you give this to me? I'm not taking it. Can you give it to me? Um, and if so, what can I give you? That's right. Nice. And so like, there is that mutuality of, you know, excuse me. I went running this morning and it's, it's, yeah, it's messing with me. Um, so yeah. So it's like, Hey, I need this every day. This is like, this makes me, this, this allows me to be more like physically, a physically capable father to our son. You know, like I, I can wake up easier at night. I can do things, you know? Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you need? What's something like, what's something that's commensurate? It's, you know, 40 minutes a day where like this would help you. And I think those sorts of conversations are good. Uh, a terrifying question that I ask Haley from time to time is uh, something like along the lines of, um, like if they're feeling honored, like, hey, are, are you feeling honored? And how can I support and honor you better? Like, is there anything I can do to support yeah. and honor you better? Like, are you feeling that though? You know, because it's like, well, I'm, I'm obviously trying to. And mo more often when somebody says no, then it's like, oh, well, like you feel invalidated, you know, it's like, oh, well, like, okay, well then I'm just failing and like, screw it. You know, it's like, no, like, yeah. how, can I redirect my energy and actions in a way that, that is meaningful to you and not just meaningful to me? Cause I am doing this for you. Yeah. Uh, so I think those, those sorts of 
questions have been safeguards for us. And I really like Jay Stringer's advice. Again, this is, um, marriage has never been easy for me and Kaylee. So none of this is hubris. None of this is uh, set from a pedestal. Um, yeah. It's it's never been easy. It's it's good. It's really good. But we've never like fallen into like, hey, like, yeah, easy stride. Rhythms are good. You know, like this is. Yeah, we've just never. That's never happened. What's been the challenge that you guys have faced? Like you mentioned, it, you said it hasn't been easy. But is there? Is there anything like, is there, a, is there a fight that you guys just seem to have over and over again? Or what, what's been, what's been like a, a major challenge that you guys have been facing? Ooh. Um, do you have an answer to that question? Well, I, I do. Yeah. 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 Go first and I'll, uh, I'll pull something up. So basically Shaloma and I have polar opposite coping mechanisms when we are in distress. So our conflict resolution is really hot, cold. If, if, if one of us is in a really good space, usually the, they can impart their, you know, presence of mind and whatever else to the other and we reach a resolution. But if for whatever reason, like, especially, you know, rearing a child, we've had some of our worst arguments since having a kid and, and generally day to day, things have actually been really good. It's just that when there is distress, like it's, it's all of a sudden, like, a level 11 and um and the the thing that we encounter again and again is when we reach these points where things have escalated i usually have the presence of mind to at least say you know what we're at the tipping point here if this continues this is going to be a problem and i'll just say hey i'm i'm i think i'm at like my limit or i'm pretty close to my limit when can we resume this conversation or let's resume this a little bit later whatever <laughs> but for her, that kind of like disconnection or detachment in the middle of conflict is very, it's a very insecure feeling for her. And she mm. feels like she's being abandoned. Yeah. She has this kind of fear of like, you know, what if we never resolve this conflict? Like it kind of takes her to all these worst case scenarios. So I was, always, I was actually shocked the first couple of times we encountered it because I was pretty impressed with myself. Just to have the presence of mind to say like, hey, I'm yeah. reaching my limit. Let's protect yeah. the relationship here. Let's not let this get worse and say things we regret. Um, and I just did not account for the fact that that could be perceived as abandonment and rejection and all these negative things to, to someone else. And that's something that she and I still haven't figured out. Like we're actually, when we get back to Canada, we're probably going to do some marriage counseling over it because we just, um, we just have not been able to, to solve it on our own. And we've tried, we've tried all kinds of different things. You know, we've tried the like, Let's, you know, like no raising your voices. Let's try to stop things from ever getting there. Um, we've tried the like, hey, if you communicate it this way, I can receive it better. And um, it all it all makes sense, you know, when you're not in the conflict and you're not at a level mm. 10. But then once you get to level 10, you can do all the things you said you were going to do. Mm. It doesn't always register the same way. So we, we've just, we've reached an impasse there. Um, and the the core element of it is that, you know, when I'm in distress, I need space. I like the space. I like being able to process. And when she's in distress, she needs all the attachment and connection in the world. Like she just needs me to be there to reassure her that I love her still. Um, and so those, those kind of conflicting methods have been, yeah, real, a real point of tension in our relationship for sure. Thanks for sharing that, dude. Yeah, that plays for sure. I, uh, cause I can downplay, so Kay Kaylee will like, uh, can be like, um, maybe like, so her, her response to, um, maybe like stress response is to fight and mine's to flee. Right. Um, so, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, which is helpful because when we're, when we're both unhealthy, the other person can kind of like drag the other person out. Um, where it's like, okay, like I need, I, I need to fight, but I'm, I'm trying to like hide, you know? And it's like, no, no, no. Like she, she can help me. And vice versa, when her is like she's trying to fight, I can help de-escalate her. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, that means I can be avoidant of things. Okay, so I came into marriage with more debt, right? right. Kaylee works an ER job. Uh, she's in school in a very tough program. Uh, she works gnarly long hours and uh, where every task is literally an emergency. 
right? Like everything, right. like her cortisol levels, like get jacked up. It's a brainwashing environment. It's 12 hours of it and there's no windows, you know, it's just artificial right. light and trauma. It's just crazy. Um, and then like, here I am like <laughs> at the house, she gets home and I'm like sitting on the couch, like right in a blog article, you know, it's like, Hey babe, how's your day? You know? Um, and so, uh, I, I think it's been that where it's like, I'll try, I can minimize things, uh, whereas she can exacerbate. She can, she can see it heightened and I can minimize it. Um, so when I do try and deescalate, when I do try and say, Hey, like, like we are we are emotionally compromised. Like we're not, we're not fighting like with one another. We're fighting at one another. Like we are the, you're yeah. the, you're the enemy and I'm the enemy. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing good about this. Um, if I try and say like, Hey, can we come back to this for her? Her natural instinct is to say like, you're, you're, you're being avoidant. Like you're being avoidant. Like it's, it's hard to trust. Um, and I, a lot of it goes back to like those early relational templates of like, for me, that first grade teacher was a woman, you know, as like domineering, uh, making demands of me. Um, and I could never, I could never win, you know, like I could never accomplish, I could never succeed. Yeah. Um, and so like trauma, an easy definition for trauma is like when we are importing more emotion into a situation than is that like called for it's like oh like i'm having like some sort of trauma response and it's this easy way it's like oh like oh like i'm i'm reacting beyond the confines of this context you know yeah um and i can notice that in my relationship with kaylee and for kaylee like her dad was you know a, a drug addict and was avoidant and um I couldn't hold a job, wouldn't work, would kind of mosey around at the house. And, and she's so awesome. Cause like, she's learned to say like just different situations. Like I'm in danger of like seeing you like him, you know? Right. Um, and like, so like, then she'll like actually like call the timeout. Like she can distinguish like, Oh, like this is a new tra trauma moment. You know, like you're, you're Shane. You're not, you're not Danny, you know? Right. Um, and like humanize me and like dignify my person. Uh, so working through that, like, I think a lot of those situations can be really contentious, really difficult for us. Cause I feel like there's nothing I can do to succeed and to be a good husband. And she feels like she's having to do everything. And she has an absentee husband It's like, Oh God, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. It's interesting how, um, like how so many of these dynamics really revert back to our upbringings or early childhood experiences and, um, you know, experiences we've had along the way, like they form so many of our responses. It's something I've been actually wanting to ask somebody who's much smarter than me. You might even, maybe they even talked about this in your degree that you're pursuing, but it's been like, it's something I've been thinking about as I raise a kid is obviously this, you know, Judah's going to learn how to cope with emotions in the way that he wants to cope. But I can, I can influence that, you know, and I can, I can direct it. And I've been thinking about that. Like, how do I teach him to handle himself, handle his emotions in a way that sets him up for the stage of life I'm in right now as a married man, where, you know, when we reach conflict resolution or when we reach a conflict, like my responses are not always great or I'm acting from, you know, trauma of the past. Not that, not that you just <laughs> become like live a perfect life. Obviously that's impossible, but just stuff I've been thinking about, you know, like, how do you, like, what could I have done something different in childhood that would, you know, program things differently um, mm -hmm. and not in a remorseful or regretful kind of way, but more just, you know, proactively as a parent now, just trying to figure out like, what can I do to set my kid up for success when he reaches this stage of life? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you will, you will mess up, you know? Of course. Uh, I, yeah. A lot of it is a uh, dancey gall. Have you heard of him? He's the guy yeah. who like kind of, Okay, they really like invented the uh, interpersonal neurobiology sort of movement uh, with Kurt Thompson and, and other fellows like that. Um, yes. Really good stuff in there. And a lot of it is, is like, you know, a coping mechanism is a means of like re-regulating, you know, like something is, is disrupting our parasympathetic system and we're trying to re-regulate. We're trying to catch our breath, our emotional wind. Um, and so like giving giving your kids, as you say, the coping mechanism, healthy ways to re-regulate. And a lot of that's by example, you know, like I have 
really vivid memories of my dad. <laughs> He's just, just blowing it, you know? And, and then later coming to me and getting on his knees and saying, hey, son, like, that was really wrong of me. And I am, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. And he, laugh, he would say, uh, will you forgive me? You wow. know, and it's just like, wow, like how it's just like the agency he gave me and the dignity. That's just so crazy. And like, I knew that like I had messed up too, like it takes two to tango, but like I had messed up too, but he was the one who was doing this first and it would so convict and humble me. Uh, but it just did dignify my agency. So I think those sorts of things where it's like, you don't try and pretend like you are perfect, but you show them how to like re-regulate, how, how yeah. to re-regulate after you are compromised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Seagull would be a great place to start. I don't have any kids, so. Yeah. 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 yeah I'll have to take a look, man. Yeah. Um, um, Sathya, I, uh, really loved what she said earlier about counseling. That's one thing that I would want to maybe leave listeners with is be quick to go to counseling. Kaylee and I have been in counseling for like a year. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, be really quick to go to counseling. Do it's like don't leave it as your last option. You know, it's yeah. it's not oh, yeah. like uh, a lot of people think of marriage as like like you and your spouse against the world. You know, and it's like <laughs> now like like what if is it like the world for you and your spouse, or you and your spouse for the world? Um, so what is what is those sorts of paradigms look like? Be quick to go to counseling. Uh, it's not a sign of failure to sign that you are. It's a proactivity. It's like preventative health as opposed to reactive health. You know, like what what do you do to to ensure that your marriage is staying healthy as opposed to trying to fix it when something breaks, you know? So I really love like, like the system you have with your wife, uh, where you're at and the resolve that you have, because that's very similar to Kaylee and I, and that's been very important. So it's not an act of humiliation. No, I, I totally agree. And I think the, the one thing like to add another dimension to it is, you know, evaluate, like, do you, do you guys need to do counseling individually? Do you need to do it as a couple? You need both. Like Shaloma and I have done tons of counseling since we've been married, but it's all just been very individual. Like she had a lot of stuff she wanted to work through and I had some things I wanted to work through as well. I think we're just at a point now where it's like, you know what, we'll continue to work on ourselves as individuals, but now we really need to do this as a couple um, and focus a bit more on the marriage. So, you know, I think, I think having that discernment is really helpful. And one other thing I would leave listeners with is, you know, these kinds of conversations are um, really valuable. And I, I wish I would have opened up to my friends earlier in marriage about the challenges, because I think especially early on in that year, like you kind of have this unofficial pressure expectation that like marriage is supposed to be bliss for the first little bit. And so when you're having challenges, you kind of wonder like, oh, what's wrong? And I know for me, I, I had this I was talking about how like I'm an Enneagram three. And one thing that's really hard for us is to confess weakness um, or to be seen that way. And so I know that that for me was a huge point of pride was like, oh, I would love to talk to some friends and see if they went through this. But I also don't want to show that we're struggling. I don't want them to think I'm a bad husband, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think, you know, that's something I'm learning to do definitely, especially as a, as a parent now. And it's like, you know what, like my, my feels like my pride's just been crushed to a little pulp. Like, I just need to, I need to ask for help and I need to be transparent about where, where we're having challenges because without that reassurance or without even just honest conversations, uh, it can feel really lonely and you also end up struggling a lot longer with the issues. So, you know, reach out to people and, and have more candid conversations. It goes a long way. Amen, Cynthia. I totally on board with all of that. It's been really great to process this with you. Um, I hope it's been helpful, helpful for listeners. I imagine it has been. Um, but it's definitely been good for me. So thank you for just the solidarity and the camaraderie. Yeah, likewise, man. Always appreciate our chats and uh, I'm already looking forward to the next one. For sure. All right, well, there you have it. Uh, man, always love having Shane on the show. And we I don't even know how much we really got into it. Uh, but in case, in case it was missed, Shane is the host of the Naked Gospel podcast. He is on staff at Proven Men Ministries, and you can find out more about them. They have tons of great resources, lots of good ways for, uh, for just parents, teens, everyone in between to get the help they need and to walk in further Christlikeness and freedom. And if you were listening to this, you know, we talked uh, very, very slightly about just the importance of, you know, uh, getting over our addictions before we got married. And I know that some of you might be in that state, um, and I, I want to speak to you in particular. Uh, I will tell you that the successes Shane and I have both experienced in our marriages is in large part because of the personal development journey we went on 
to quit pornography, to become better men, and to step more into, you know, the Christ-like character that God was calling us to. And so if that's on your heart, and you want to do that too, uh, if you're married, obviously you can you can still do this as well. I want to really encourage you act on this now before it's too late. Uh, a lot of people think marriage fixes these problems with pornography and masturbation and fantasy, but the reality is they actually magnify the issues and make them much worse. And so I'd love to see you guys get the help that you need. I'd love to see you guys step into marriages in a healthy place. And if you are married and you know um, maybe the marriage is struggling, look, I'd love to see you turn your marriage around as well. And there's no reason it cannot. We have seen so many marriages turn around when a man really takes this stuff seriously, he actually makes an effort to quit porn. And as a matter of fact, we have an interview coming up where I kind of detail this in, uh, in quite a bit more. About uh, two weeks ago, we released an episode of Matt Galbraith, whose wife had packed her bags and was ready to leave him. And he begged for one more chance. He made that chance count. Um, and he wound up quitting. He's celebrating 13 years of freedom. He joined our staff. That's why we had him on the show. But um, it, it just goes to show you like that, like you just don't know what could happen when you decide to make a change in your life. And so if that's something you want to do, whether you're single, wanting to get married or you're married and you want to get the marriage back on track, link is in the show notes to book a call with my team. We'd love to speak with you. We'll send you some content or some videos rather on um, you know, what the program is like, what you can expect and, you know, evaluate whether or not you think it's going to work for you. And, um, you know, it's relatively low pressure, no harm, no foul if things don't move forward. So links in the show notes. In the meantime, guys, have an amazing day. I pray blessings over your marriages, over your relationships, over your lives. Stay clean. We'll talk soon. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you Called the ultimate guide to porn recovery it provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge you can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com that's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com now if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds there are three ways you can do that first you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform this lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.